it's time to stand up or shut up. With your hosts, Chris and Jen, this is the Theme Park Stand Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Theme Park Stand Podcast. We have an exciting one here for you today. Yes, um, let's go, guys. We, guys, we have a very exciting guest. Don Helbig, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, how about uh, you two? Did you have a great Thanksgiving? Yeah. I had a great one. Jen, did you? Yeah, it was great. It was lots of time with family. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, Don, you were out in the uh, the cabin somewhere, weren't you? I was. Uh, in recent years, it's been tradition for my family to go to Tennessee, uh, the East Tennessee part. We get a cabin and we have Thanksgiving there. And, you know, obviously as part of that, um, that visit, you know, we go to Dollywood, but do some of the other attractions that you know, is in Pigeon Forge as well as Gatlinburg. So, um, you know, we're always on the move and that's what's not like a relaxing kind of week. Uh, I think my wife would prefer that we kind of sometimes just stay in the cabin instead of going to all these places. But uh, something we've been doing for, you know, a few years now and, um, and it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, that sounds like such a nice week. Sounds like. So yeah, it, it is. An, it is a nice week. Yeah, something to look forward to every year. Did you get a chance to, uh, oh, before we get started, uh, actually, I'm going to ask this. Did you get a chance to ride the uh, Big Bear Mountain down there, the new one? I did. I did it earlier this summer. And, okay. uh, you know, it's a fantastic ride. I mean, just a perfect fit for that park. Um, you know, fits in beautifully in the Wild Wood Grove area there. Um, just a lot of fun. It's one of those rides, you know, you get off the, up the ride and you want to get right back in line and ride it again. Uh, so, so for me, you know, I heard a lot of really good things about it, um, but I, I thought it even exceeded what I was hearing about it. You know, one of my favorite rides there. Oh, that's, that's good. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I guess before we get moving uh, too much farther, why don't you give us, uh, you know, a little intro and tell us what's going on with you now? Well, um, after leaving Kings Island at the end of June, I have uh, been involved in a lot of different things. I soft launched a theme parks blog. I'd always, um, you know, had that in the back of my mind as something I wanted to do over the last, you know, four or five years since blogs started to really, um, you know, becoming a popular thing. I, the storytelling uh, part of it was one of the things I enjoyed the most at Kings Island. I liked doing the Kings Island blog. So I thought, you know, if I ever left here, I would start my own and have the whole industry to work with. So it's called Theme Parks by Don. And I have, I think, a little over 40 entries already as part of the soft launch with it. And, uh, you know, I try to populate, you know, so far like four or five articles a week since I launched it. Uh, but a lot more is planned for that. So that's uh, one of the things I'm doing. I started uh, writing as a contributor to a website called The Hockey Writers. It's one of the most popular, most visited hockey websites out there covering the Columbus Blue Jackets. So it's nice to get back into hockey a little bit before I started working in the theme park industry where I spent 17 years at Kings Island. I worked 18 years in professional hockey. So, uh, you know, excited to be uh, back involved with that. And I contributed an article or two a week with that. Um, joined the Sandusky Register as a you know contributor for them covering Cedar Point. Um, if some other things in the industry would happen within the Cedar Fair family, you know, I'm able to write articles about that as well. So uh, that's been, been fun taking that on. And um, in my 19th season, uh, working game days for the Cincinnati Bengals PR staff, uh, one of my primary roles is to transcribe post-game quotes. And of all the jobs that I've had in my life, 
you know, I would have to say that's been my favorite is being involved with the Bengals. That's so cool. That, that's uh, quite a, a a wide variety of things you have going on right now. Well, it is. And I also have a Reds newsletter that I do, too. It's, I called it Thing is I'm a Reds fan, and I, I have that going on as well, too. But with the offseason, not doing as much with it right now. But when I look at where I'm at today, all the things that were the cornerstones of my life, you know, the Reds, the Bengals, theme parks, hockey, you know, those are the four things that I'm involved with right now. So, uh, you know, life is good. Yeah, I'm sure it seems like you have something to do all year, too, which is really nice considering most people who their main thing is coasters and theme parks. We kind of have a doll up here in the north for a couple months. Yeah, it gives me a yeah, it gives me a chance to um, you know have a little variety, so nothing's going to get um, you know I would use the word stale or um, you know become part of a routine. It's always something different every day, and I'm enjoying that. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome, and I'll, I have to say here, go Jackets, even though they haven't started the season how I'd like, but it's okay. Still support them always. <laughs> yeah, I got to support the team. No, you know, I mean, I know you're a big Blue Jackets fan, and, you know, they, they play a little bit better the last, you know, few games, but they haven't learned how to close it out yet. And it's, you know, when I'm writing these stories, you know, it's when you're when you're covering a team or you're working for a team as a PR person, um, you know, you, it's great if you have a really good team. It's great if you have a really bad team because there's always a lot of different stories. But if you're somewhere in the middle of the pack, um, it's a little bit of a harder job. It's not as much fun that way. Yeah. So, you know, what I'd like to see them do well, it gives me more opportunity, you know, at the times they're not doing well. I agree. Um, yeah, that was uh, – I know that, you know, a, a while back I said we need to make it out to a game sometime together. So you'll have to let me know whenever – We do. We definitely need to do that. Down. All right, I'll do that. Sounds good. Um, so how did the whole uh, Sandusky Register thing come about? It was something that um, last summer, in fact, not this past summer, but the summer of 2022, I was up at Cedar Point toward the end of their um, – you know, summer season and uh, an individual who also contributes to the Sandusky register, um, the CP food blogger, Justin Dietz. Um, you know, I told him that, you know, I loved his, his content, the things he was writing about, and he kind of threw it out there. Would you ever have an interest in, in doing that? And, you know, I told him I, I definitely would, uh, but the timing had to be right. Obviously you can't do that while you're working for a park and, you know, which I was at the time for Kings Island. Uh, but as soon as, uh, you know, I, I left the park uh, right away. You know, he's like, are you, you ready to do this? You know, so we kind of moved forward from there. Now, he had mentioned to the register, you know, a while back that if I were to become available, would they be interested? You know, and he'd shown him some of the blogs and things that I had written. And, um, you know, they were like, yeah, if he, he's interested, we're interested in him. So it just kind of came together, you know, really quickly. Um, but, you know, we, we started working on the articles. And I think the first one was published in, in early September. And, uh, you know, it seems like a good fit and it's, you know, one of my favorite parks is Cedar Point. Uh, so it gives me a lot of content to work with. You know, it's not just top thrilled to that's going on right now. There's just a lot of history there. Um, a lot of fun events that they do. Um, Justin will have the culinary experience because the C he's a CP food blogger. So I won't touch anything like that. Uh, but there's always something going on at the park, the different events. I wrote about the uh, uh, Halloween weekends. That was one of my first stories was that. So, um, 
you know, it was just something that was kind of sitting there. I knew that, uh, you know, if, if the time came where I was able to do what I wanted to, and it all worked out well. That's really cool. I'm excited to follow, you know, your journey with, uh, with the posts that come out. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I'm excited to hear them too. I am so sorry, guys. Ahsoka, as, as the Theme Park Sam podcast knows, Ahsoka always makes an entrance. And right now she's throwing a huge fit outside of my door. Um, so <laughs> she's going to read the blog too, is what she's saying. Um, well, let's, uh, let me get into one of these questions here. Uh, actually, Jen, I think you want to kick us off with one of them first. Yeah, let's go. Let me, let me see. Oh, wait, is this? Hold on. I lost my train of thought where you're at. <laughs> <laughs> it'll come back. It'll come back. That's how the ADHD works. It'll, <laughs> it'll be back once I start talking. Um, I did have a question, but I don't remember what it is. So we will. We'll come back to it. We'll select the back. Do you want me to Sounds start with good. these questions? Or do you want to start? What's up? You want me to start? It's up to you. Sorry, my internet is also not doing great, guys, right now. Oh. I'll start um, off with the first one, unless you have it pulled up now. You go ahead, Chris. Let me. Okay. So, uh, Don, this is from our friend Cedar Kevin, or Cedar Kevy goes by. And he says, What is your favorite memory of working at Kings Island? Favorite memory? That's a great question. And you know, being there for part of 17 seasons, there's a lot of great memories. Uh, I would think the top one would have to be uh, Robbie Knievel's motorcycle jump in 2008. And there's a lot of reasons for that. It was a, a you know, big time event. Uh, it was one of the first major things that I was involved with there. It came together really quickly. Uh, we had maybe about little, just a little over two weeks notice that we were going to do this. And what made it one of my favorite uh, memories is that everybody at Kings Island, when I mean everybody, all the different divisions had to come together to make this happen. And as quick as we needed it to happen, we needed the, the maintenance team, the carpentry team. Uh, we needed operations. We needed safety, security. Uh, we needed uh, folks from operation to kind of come out and help with it. Um, so it was kind of a full team effort. And, you know, when you work at a place like Kings Island, there's a lot of uh, talk of one team where everybody's, you know, helping out everybody when there's a need. And uh, that was a perfect example of that. And I was still relatively new there. I joined the year before. Uh, but to see everybody and how they all work together and how successful that event was because of the one team effort, that made it the number one memory for me. That's awesome. Oh, that's so I wish I would have been there for that. <laughs> Yeah, and I watched his father do the motorcycle jump in 1975 on ABC television. You know, so I grew up, you know, like a lot of kids, you know, Evil Knievel fan and had the little Evil Knievel toy. So to, to get to work with his son uh, was interesting. I'd heard a lot of stories about Evil Knievel from uh, Kings Island's PR manager at the time in the 70s when, when Evil was there. And, uh, you know, she had told me what a nightmare that was. And uh, let me tell you, the nut doesn't fall far from the tree <laughs> you know he was kind of a challenge too to to work with and you know you you saw uh robbie and you, you can kind of tell the you know with the upbringing it couldn't have been easy you know being the son of of uh, evil knievel and uh, just that upbringing that he had but um there's not a lot of discipline there so when 
I would tell him we have a morning live shot at 620. He needs to be in the parking lot, you know, and it's 610 and he's still in his camper at the Great Wolf Lodge right next to it. And he's telling you, well, they can't start without me. And I'm like, yeah, they can't at 620. You got to go. You know, so there was things like that that we had to work with. Um, but, you know, he's a really good guy. We became friends, uh, stayed in touch you know, after the jump, which was 2008. So up until his passing and uh, this past January. So, um, you know, that was that was just a fun, memorable experience. Uh, very successful international news coverage for it. Uh, live shots when it was happening at the time. Um, so everybody from Cincinnati, Dayton, Columbus, Louisville, Lexington, all those stations, they were all there uh, for it. So it was one of those um, things that really put events back on the map for Kings Island. They've been known for that in the seventies and eighties got away from that, you know, the nineties leading up to that point. So right after Robbie Knievel, then you have Rick Willenda doing a high wire walk the next year. Nick Willenda does a high wire walk. And then there's just all those other events bringing back the, uh, the Brady bunch kids and things. So it really kind of set the stage for, this is what we need to do. We need to have these special events uh, to, to, to bring guests back to the park. You know, maybe it hadn't been there for a number of years and it worked. Yeah, so that took place. Is that if you were to go into the parking lot right now, where did that actually like take place? It happened in the area down here where the um, preferred parking area okay is right there. So the jump, you know, you go back toward Great Wolf Lodge. That was kind of where he started from, and then he hit the ramp, and then the um, the ramp that he landed on was pretty much near uh, where the preferred ends. Got it. So he had maybe about 50 feet of runway or something to, to kind of slow himself down. They had like hay bales and things like that for him to go into. Uh, but yeah, it was all along that side. It was not smooth for him. It was not level. Uh, so a lot of challenges on his end. I will tell you that a lot of people who know about uh, motorcycles and, um, you know, the, the stuntmen and things like that told me that, you know, Robbie was the far more talented stuntman than his father he could ride a bike better than his father but his father was the superior marketing guy you know he was he was great at promoting and marketing himself yeah. uh, robbie didn't have that going for him he needed people like me to help you know make everyone aware of what he was doing that's cool yeah that's so interesting the whole fun whole time yeah um I think I do remember like a little bit of what um, I wanted to talk about. Again, I'm so sorry, guys. Ahsoka has demanded attention. Um, can we talk a little bit about like I know you've been an enthusiast for a little a really long time. Can we talk a little bit about like growing up as an enthusiast and what ultimately brought you to Kings Island for that position? That's a great uh, question. I grew up. One of the big things that my family we did when I was real, real young was um, we lived about 15 minutes away from Cincinnati's Coney Island was was the big thing we did. We weren't going on vacations to Florida or anything like that. So Memorial Day, 4th of July, Labor Day, we would go to Coney Island and our cousins and everything would come. And it was, you know, a big deal for all of us to all get together. Um, there was a roller coaster called the Shooting Star. I was mesmerized by it, but I wouldn't ride it. And then finally, the last day at Coney Island operated in 1971. It was September 6th. I went through the line with my sister, sat in the seat. The lap bar came down. The train behind it 
you know, was going through the helix and it just made this big, loud screeching sound, freaked me out. So I got out of the, out of the seat, didn't ride it. Uh, I'd never been on a roller coaster before and it didn't matter. Like even the little tiny ones, I'd not ever been on one before. Um, so didn't think much about it. Then the next year Kings Island opens and they got the racer just looks stunning. You know, red, white, and blue was the marquee attraction. I kept looking at it and my cousin offered me uh, 50 cents to ride it with him. So at that time, you know, 50 cents is a lot of money in 1972. So <laughs> it was more than I was making to cut the grass. So, um, you know, I was like, okay, so go through the line and I just keep saying, you know, the, you know, seeing all the trains dispatching and I'm, you know, a little nervous about it. And, you know, we get up in the station, it's my turn to ride. And, um, you know, I, I, stuck my feet underneath like in front you know where they've got that little room to put your feet up under and all that to make sure you know I was i was supported and i was scared to death going up the lift hill get to the top and you look out and you just see way down in the distance now this time the racers are like the biggest longest fastest you know one of those kind of things it was it was a big deal in 1972 so you look out and you know you just see that in front of you then you had the two small hills then when it went up that fourth hill that climb seemed like it went forever and I felt I was going to come out of my seat, just great airtime and that. And then, it, you know, we come back in the station. I was just so excited about it. I wanted to ride again, you know, and then ride it again. So I ended up riding it nine times that day. So that got me started as being a roller coaster fan. I was intrigued by it, but there wasn't a lot of information or anything about roller coasters back then. You know, it was just sometimes the local articles or something about Kings Island, what was new for the next year. And then 1979, the beast comes along. And uh, I remember riding it three times. Uh, the first time I went 1979 with it, um, you know, to this day, I just remember those rides, you know, as clear as day, you know, it was just, uh, just a, an amazing experience. And by that time I'm all, I'm hooked, I'm in, but I don't have, you know, license. I can't drive or anything like that. Season passes had just come out in 1979. And then in 1981, uh, I got a season pass as a as a gift for Christmas and was going to use it. I thought maybe I would go three or four times a year, like most people would. I was working for the Cincinnati Reds as a novelty vendor, and they had um, a strike. It started in June. So I went up to Kings Island for my first visit right after the strike started and go to ride the racer. And a girl I had graduated with, you know, a week earlier, is working the ride. It's like one of her first days working the ride. And it seemed like she saw a familiar face and it made her a little more comfortable in that. So, you know, I wrote it a few times. And then I asked her, I said, do you know what the one day record is? And she's like, what? And I see you have the one day record on the racer. So she's like, well, let me find out for you. So I write a few more cycles. She comes back and she says, I asked my supervisor and he asked, um, you know, the ride operations uh, director. And he said, the record is 96. It was set in 1976. Um, she goes, but I don't think you can get it today because there's just not enough, you know, times where you can get on this the way the line is today. Well, I didn't, you know, I was like, well, I'll try. So I ended up with 54 rides, came back a couple of days later, you know, get a 76, a couple of days later, get a 44. Now I'm determined. It's, 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 it's no longer just try to get a one. Now it's, now it's a quest. I'm going to do this. <laughs> you know, I have to do this. So it, it, it just kind of started to be, you know, where all of a sudden I'm there every day riding the racer and, on August 9th, um, right around the time the strike was getting ready to end, I did set the one-day record. I got 97, and 
the Reds started out on a road trip, so they came back home on August 14th, the doubleheader with the San Francisco Giants. I remember that. And that morning, I hit my 1,000th ride on it. So um, that's kind of how I got into it. But while I'm doing all this, I start seeing people in line. Uh, there was a guy I met. His name is Marlon Scott, still very active in the American Coaster Enthusiast. It's a night ride uh, on the race. They were staying open until midnight on a Friday night. And as we're passing through the, the queue in each other, I, I said, what's what's this American Coaster Enthusiast? Because he had a, this nice black satin jacket on. And and uh, he started talking to me about it. Then he kind of held up and let me catch up with them in the line. And as we walked through, he told me that, you know, they were based in Chicago, how many members they had, the different events that they have. And um so by the time I got off the ride, I've got all the information I needed. Membership was like $10 at that time, joined ACE. And pretty much the rest, you know, it's kind of history after that because that gave me the opportunity because of the newsletters and the magazine that they had that I got to learn more about all the other parks and what they were doing. You know, things were sometimes three months after the fact. Back then, that's how the news moved. You didn't know until three months later the park had already done this. Uh, but 1981 was really the year that it kind of, um, you know, became... Uh, officially a coaster enthusiast okay that's pretty interesting i didn't realize and then leading up yeah then, yeah then you said leading up to the job well i ended up riding the racer ten thousand times between 1981 to 1990 still wrote it after that but not to that degree i kind of figured i had to you know kind of get on with it 1990 or i'd forever be just going to, to part i didn't want to be you know at my age now with sixty thousand rides on the on the racer. So I had to find, you know, what else do I want to do? And I knew I wanted to work in professional sports. So in 1990, I started working in, in professional hockey. Um, so I was able to achieve that goal. Uh, but with um, Kings Island, it was always in the back of my mind, right around the mid eighties that it kind of would be cool to be a, a PR person for a theme park. You know, I never thought it would happen at Kings Island and be able to do it in my hometown. Uh, but uh, a guy I worked with, 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 with one of the hockey teams, uh, went on to become the marketing director at Kings Island. And I had moved on and had worked for some different teams, some different cities. And I was in Albany, New York. And uh, they reached out to me and he said, would you be interested in throwing your name in the ring for our you know, PR manager job? You know, it just opened up. This was 2007, you know, early in 2007. And I thought, why not? Nothing ventured, nothing gained. You know, I liked what I was doing in Albany. Uh, it was a great group of people that I worked with there. My daughter loved her school. You know, I'd only been there for, you know, maybe nine or 10 months at the time. And he asked if I could come in and do an interview with the general manager and a couple other people. And I did that. And, you know, everything just kind of clicked. It seemed like it'd be a good fit. Uh, they had just been purchased by, you know, Cedar Fair. So a lot of transition was going on at that point in time. And um, but it was going to be one of those things where, because of what I did with the racer and then still going there, I knew, you know, when I would walk down the hallways, I knew who everybody was in those offices. So it wasn't yeah. like going into a new environment. I knew the maintenance guys. I knew the safety people. I knew security. I knew the, you know, guest services people. Uh, I knew some of the marketing people were still there from when I was doing the racer. So it didn't feel, um, like I was going into a new job or changing, you know, was I was able to hit the ground running and it just seemed like, you know, business as usual. And like, I'd been there forever just because of what I had done with the race there and knowing all the people. So it didn't seem like I was starting anything new. And 
you know, in some ways people always said I was kind of like, uh, you know, the unofficial spokesperson for Kings Island in the 1980s and 90s and that, because whenever there was something new or whatever, I'd be the one they'd bring out to media days to talk about it. Or um, if the media was trying to uncover something, they'd call me and ask, you know, what my thoughts were and that. And I knew how to play, you know, what, what to say and what not to say and all that. So, um, you know, it was just, that's how I got into it. And that's how I got the job at Kings Island. And, uh, you know, I had a great 17 you know, seasons there. That's really awesome. That's really awesome. Um, one question that came up while you were talking is what are your thoughts on the, uh, the ever changing like landscape of Kings Island from, you know, the KIC, you're not KIC, but, uh, the original, you know, broad Taft broadcasting group all the way up through Cedar fair and the changes that have happened to the park. I think when Cedar fair took over, it started to, um, kind of go back to what it was under Taft. I thought that it was, you know, run now by a company that was amusement parks. You know, they didn't have a bunch of other things that they were involved with. Uh, you know, when you had Paramount, you know, all the entertainment, the movies, all of those kind of things. So it's just one of many things that they owned and that where with Cedar Fair, amusement parks was their business. So I felt good about that when that happened in 2006, that they would get back to those roots and they, they did. And then as time went on, um, you know, I got to give the, the general manager there, Mike Koontz, you know, all the credit in the world because there was all these little touches that, uh, you know, he started, um, you know, wanting to have happen and they did happen, you know, if it was as simple as just, you know, re redoing International Street with, you know, the brick pavers and uh, the fountains, um, just painting some things, bringing back the red, white and blue on the racer, just little things like that, just those small little touches, um, just really, I think, brought the park back to being close to what it was in the 70s and 80s. Now, there's a lot of people that will tell me, I wish I'd, you know, gone to the park in the 70s and the 80s. What I would tell those people and what I do tell them is that uh, the park today, the product in terms of rides and everything is better today than it was back in the 70s and 80s. There's so much more to to do. Uh, you know, you think about the 70s, you had the racer and then you had, uh, you know, the, the wooden roller coaster and, and Planet Snoopy, you know, Woodstock Express. That's what you had. And then you had, you know, Bavarian Beetle was another one. So there wasn't, uh, you know, there was three, four, you know, then it started to build up. You know, you didn't have 15, 16 roller coasters to ride back then. I think entertainment wise, uh, the shows were very high caliber back in the 70s and the 80s. You had the Broadway style shows in the Kings Island Theater. You had, you know, two different type of shows in the international show place. You had a pop show. You had a country show. Um, so that part of it, I think, was was probably a little bit, um, you know, better in the 70s and 80s than it is today. But in terms of the overall package, and I'm talking about the culinary experience, you know, the special events and everything, the product today is far better than it ever was at the park. Yeah, I think my, I started going to the park probably in the very late 80s. So my, you know, my memory of my favorite first ride there was the Flying Dutchman. And yeah, um, that just, it takes me back to my childhood every time I step foot into Kings Island. Yeah, I mean, for me, there's not a place when I walk around that park, there's not a building, a corner, a ride that I don't have some kind of memory that comes up, you know, whether it's yeah. a ride that used to be there or if it's people that used to work on the rides or in a gift shop, those kind of things. So just, you know, just a treasure trove of memories for me. 
Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. All right. I mean, we can go to the next question. I think I'm next, right? Yep. Chris? Cool, cool. So Alex um, Velocicoasting asked, um, how do you see Kings Island transforming with the new Cedar Fair Six Flags joint ownership? Does this mean the park will theme the next coasters to Joe Burrow? <laughs> um, you know, I really don't think it's going to be like that where everything, you know, becomes like Six Flags names things. I think a lot of the parks are going to maintain their, you know, their identity, what they're known for. You know, you're not going to see the name of the beast changed or the race or anything like that. Um, I, I think it's a good thing. I think this is something that both chains had to do in order to ensure their futures. So there really wasn't a choice. I don't think uh, to, you know, other than to, to finally merge. Um, I think you take the best of what each chain does well and you integrate those across all the parks. And I think that just makes everything better. I, I go back to when uh, the Paramount parks were sold to Cedar Fair. At that time, uh, Paramount was miles ahead of Cedar Fair in terms of the technology, but Cedar Fair was the better operator. So you took those two things together and, you know, you made a better park at Kings Island. You made a better, you know, made it better at uh, Cedar Point and the other properties. So I think that's what you're going to see here is just by taking the best of what everybody does. Um, it's going to be better across all those properties, which is what, 40 plus properties now. And uh, I, I think it's going to be a good thing. I, you know, I've seen a lot of, uh, you know, I'll call it knee jerk reaction when it was first announced and everybody was, you know, panic mode, what's going to happen and this and that. But, um, you know, I think they've got an opportunity here to to really elevate the guest experience. And I think that's who win is going to be the guest. I would have to agree. Um you know, at first I was all, I was, I'll admit I was, I was one of the skeptical ones at first, but the more I thought about it and the more I think about it, I think that, like you said, this is going to benefit everyone. Yeah, I think it will. I think now, I think Six Flags is, I, I think they're a little bit ahead of now where Cedar Fair is in terms of the technology. Um, I, I think you look at things like their their ticketing systems and their season pass programs and that. I think it, it's a little bit, um, you know, a little bit ahead of where Cedar Fair is right now. I think operation wise, the Cedar Fair parks are better. So I think you put those overall. I'm, now there's some parks that, you know, are phenomenal in each chain at what they do operations. I'm just talking about the complete package. I'm not just yeah. saying every park is this or that. I'm just saying the complete right. package there is going to be better. So I'm excited about it, you know, but you know, we have to, you know, throw a little caution because this is not, you know, gone through yet. So, you know, if it, it, it might not, but right. we're just saying if it does go through, I think it's going to be a good thing for everybody. So this has just popped in my head. So we're talking about racer and, and beast. What do you say to the people that always bring up the, the unwanted comments of RMCing those two coasters? <laughs> I always go back to you only do a conversion with RMC when you have a coaster that's having a lot of problems. Right. That's not the case with the racer, not the case with the beast. If those rides were candidates for something like that, I think instead of putting the work in that they are with the racer, by the time they get done with what they're doing now on uh, the blue side, 
mm-hmm. you know, retracking on the way in. They did that last year. They, you know, did it all the way out, you know, the year before. And that's so it's pretty much a new ride. So it's, you know, going to be around another 50 plus years, you know, right. you would think with, with that. Uh, so they've kind of um, ensured its future, you know, so there's future generations that are going to be able to enjoy the racer the same as the people that started riding in the 70s, 80s, 90s to today enjoy it. So you're not going to make that kind of investment in the racer if it's a problem coaster. You know, it just needed that typical, you know, you have to do that at a certain point when you're 50 years old, you have to kind of, you know, put a lot of care into it. And they've done that. Um, the Beast, Again, not a not a problem coaster. They put a lot of uh, track work into that, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. Uh, there's always annual maintenance that goes on to it during the off season to keep it in, in great condition. Um, you look at how long that ride is, the layout of that ride, it wouldn't even work. With an RMC converter, you wouldn't have enough energy to bring the train back into the station. So, yeah, um, no, no, those two. That's not going to happen. You know, just I would use the word, uh, you know, you might as well be an Aerosmith fan and just dream on. <laughs> that's a good one yeah I, th- I think i would be highly upset and uh i mean racer is just no. it's running like it's a brand new coaster so i have to give the props to gravity group on that for sure you know if they ever you know did a ground floor up rmc you know i'd be all for that i became a you know a much bigger uh, rmc fan after going to hershey park a couple weeks ago and riding wildcats revenge that kind of sold me that, yeah, I think every part needs one like this. Um, but um, yeah, I think the racer, the beast, racer 75 at King's Dominion, you know, no, n- n- there's no need to do that. Yeah. yeah and I, I think I had commented something on your post about Wildcats Revenge, that little kink to the left before the, the double down. So good. Yes. <laughs> it's the profile. It I w- Very unique. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was going to be good. I didn't realize it was going to be off the charts. Good. That's awesome. Um, all right. So I have another question here coming from um, one of our regular listeners, Flaming Scrubs. Uh, this this is a looks like a King's Dominion question. Should Racer 75 drop the backwards train again? He misses it. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people miss the backwards on whether it's, you know, that coaster or the racer at King's Island. Um, but I don't think you're going to see that again I, you know it was it was a novelty you know thing to do back in 1982 when the racer first did it at king's island um wasn't supposed to last 26 seasons but it did there king's dominions didn't last you know nearly as long with that but um you know it was a nice nice thing it was fun while it lasted but i think the rides now you know they're, they're operating the way they were intended to so i don't think you're going to see that happen I didn't realize it ran that long with the backwards train. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The racer was 20, yeah, 26 uh, seasons and it was 1982 through 2007. And that was one of my first uh, things too. I'll tell you a little story here on that. I was working, it was called bare bones night at Kings Island during the Halloween haunt season. Uh, it was a Thursday night and the full-time staff had to go out in the park and work different, you know, areas. Some had, food and beverage. Some were taking, you know, taking tickets, you know, some might've worked rides. I got the basketball game by the racer. So the park GM and, you know, some people from Cedar fair were touring the park and they stopped by the basketball game, ask how it's going and that. And one of the Cedar fair guys says to me, points up at the racer and he goes, I understand you're very familiar with that ride. 
He's like, yeah. I remember he goes, do I get better backwards or forwards? And I said, I always liked it better, you know, forwards. And I said, I liked it when both sides went forward. And he goes, well, that's good because you're the one's going to deal with it as the PR person when I turn it back around next year. And they just walked off. <laughs> so that's how I learned that it was going to go back forward again, uh, <laughs> just by, you know, you know, and so I go in and ask some questions, you know, ask my boss and then nobody knows anything about it, you know, but uh, that's how I learned uh, for 2008, both sides were going to run forwards again. <laughs> that's amazing. And if my memory serves correct, it was red side that ran backwards, correct? The red side did. And that's another story because they used to have a red and a blue on each side. Yeah. I remember that. So when the when the decision was made to have both sides going forwards again, I asked our maintenance team, I said, is there a way you can make red on both sides, you know, blue on both sides, just to kind of make it a little bit, you know, unique for guests who might be upset about this. But now that's, you know, there's a red versus blue all the time. And they're like, yeah, it doesn't make any difference to us. We can do that if that's what you want. You know, so that's why it's now the way it is again. Nice. That's that's awesome to know. <laughs> it is pretty cool. All right. Um, next we have it looks like we have two different questions from Justin. Um, could the beast run trains backwards? You can run the trains backwards on just about any roller coaster that's out there. It's almost like picking up a model train and just turning it around. You know, it's um, you know, oh, you have to, it involves the the chain dog underneath the the coaster you have to reconfigure you know the electrical and the station for the lap bars and that but you know any train could run backwards you know so it's 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 not something that could not be done i'm not sure if i would i'm sure it would be fun but i'm not sure if i'd want to do the beast backwards especially in the helix <laughs> no yeah. probably not i feel like that might just i've never written it but i feel like that might be too intense Oh yeah, we we still have to get her out to Kings Island for the first time. <laughs> I unfortunately have not been to Kings Island. Ah, uh, you got to get there. It's a missed opportunity if you don't. I know. I'm hoping for next year. I'm hoping for next year. We'll All see. Right. Soon. I want Mystic Timbers really bad, and I don't like wooden coasters, so that is like a huge thing that I'm excited for their wooden coaster. No, <laughs> oh, you'll love that ride. I've heard amazing things. I also do want to ride the beast, but. I mean, I'm going to throw this out there. I think you might be surprised by racer for sure. I really do. <laughs> I'm definitely going to try it. And I'm going to see, I, I have yet to really love any of like the, the two sided coasters. Um, it was for a long time. I didn't ride it just because it was so rough. I feel like, and I don't want to, you know, oh, yeah. throw any tear caretakers under the bus or anything but they, it's been taken care of a lot better nowadays yeah and you uh, you just said it was retract too so yeah gravity group yeah. Yeah. yeah gravity group yeah i mean it's it's running phenomenal it's almost if you took away the individual lap bars it would be running as good if not better than it did when it opened in 1972 but that takes away part of the uh, you know the trains are a little bit heavier that way and you don't have um, the airtime that you used to have on that, that coaster from 1972 to 1990 when you had the bus bars. Uh, the airtime on that coaster was as good as any out there. Really? All right. Now Racer is one I'm looking forward to a little bit. <laughs> airtime. New track. Oh, my gosh. It'll be good. It's smooth. It's smooth. I was really surprised. That's I'm 
it's one of my favorites in the park now again. So I'll have to give it a try. It'll be on my list, I swear. Next year. Next year we'll make it to King's Island. Let's go. All right. So our other one from Justin is does corporate come up with names, ideas for Halloween haunt or Winterfest, or do the park employees? It's a combination of both. Um, if you look at some of the things at Kings Island, there are things that the employees suggested that are in play. Um, there's a, a restaurant in the planet Snoopy area. It's uh, ghost of restaurant past. That was something that I threw out there to suggest. So it does, you know, happen that way. Uh, some of the other things, you know, the corporate team will come up with it or the entertainment team will come up with it. So it, it's kind of a collaborative effort. Everybody, you know, gets to throw in their ideas and, uh, you know, everything gets discussed and talked about. Um, so it's not, you know, just somebody handing it down saying, here you go. You know, and talking about like the past in Kings Island and, and things like that. So, um, we saw antique autos come back and it seemed like the Cedar fair and Kings Island, you know, are really embracing the, the past. And I was curious on your thoughts of if you think that we would ever see a phantom theater ride return. I think the chances of that happening, um, you know, were probably a little bit better than before, you know, the, the merger that might happen here when you have the IPs, that the, the two chains have, you yeah, have to yeah. watch that. So I think if there was going to be a, a new dark ride experience at Kings Island, I think it would leverage one of those IPs versus bringing something back from, uh, you know, the 1990s. I do think it would be great for nostalgia buffs yeah. to have Phantom Theater back. I think the enthusiasts who didn't experience Phantom Theater, but have seen it through YouTube and everything like that, great for them. But I think for the majority of the guests that come to the park, I think something using those IPs would connect better with them than Phantom Theater. Tear. <laughs> <laughs> I missed that ride. Chris, I actually was wondering how long we'd make it through the episode without Phantom Theater being mentioned. Um, I mentioned oh, that's one of my, yeah, I mean, it was one of my favorite rides ever. I mean, I loved it. I would love to see it come back, but I just think it just, you know, it doesn't make sense you know, if you have those IPs and that you have to leverage those. So I think that would be yeah. the way they would go. I could that be wrong, but I th that's the way I think they would go. Yeah. What are, what were your thoughts on the um, Phantom Theater Encore show? It was fantastic. Uh, you know, having experienced the ride and uh, just watching the characters, you know, they were, they were very much what the characters were in the, in the ride. So I, I think it was, you know, very close, as close as you can be to being spot on yeah. with it. And I thought they took a ride and brought it to life on stage. So, um, yeah, it was a tremendous show. One of my favorite shows that I've seen over the years at Kings Island. And uh, I would, I hope it would come back again, maybe another year. But, you know, I don't know. I hope so. So Jen can witness it. <laughs> yes. I've heard so much about Phantom Theater. Chris is like a super fan over here. As you can't tell, yeah, some of it, you know, yeah, some of you had to, if you didn't experience the ride, some of it kind of went over your head with some of the little, you know, things they would throw out there, but just very well done. The crowd loved it. Um, you know, I would see, you know, kids after shows would go up, you know, and, and with, when they'd have those meet and greets with the cast and things and 
uh, it was just a lot of fun. There was two regulars, these twin sisters, that Phantom Theater, when they were little kids, like five or six, it was their favorite ride. And they lived about three hours away. And they would be there, you know, several days a week just to watch the Phantom Theater show. Yeah. So that tells oh. you the power of, of, of that attraction that, uh, you know, they were willing to make that trip three hours away to the park. At the end of the night, they'd go back three hours back home. They'd come back the next day, three hours, go back home. A lot of miles on the car. Yeah. Uh, but they loved the show. And so, did, I mean, just thousands of guests love that show. Yeah. And that was Taft that did that, right? Is that Are they the ones that was the park owned by them then? It was kind of in that point where they were selling it, you know, off in 93. So it was going to Paramount at that point. And the decision was made before that, that it was going to be, you know, Phantom Theater uh, was going to be the attraction. But in 92 and like August, that's when that sale went through. So um, they just kind of carried it over. I was going to ask one last thing, but I can't remember what I was just going to ask. But um, yeah, <laughs> it'll come to me. Um, anyway, the, uh, the next question we have from Blio, um, what is, I, mean, I think we have, I think we all know the answer to this, but he asks, what is your favorite roller coaster at Kings Island? Favorite roller coaster, the racer. Now that doesn't mean it's the best, the best coaster for me at Kings Island has been, you know, is now is always going to be, uh, probably the beast, um, especially at night. It's just an experience you don't get anywhere else because there's nothing else out there that even comes close to replicating the layout design of that ride. I would agree. It's it's an elite night ride for sure. And then also the uh, the helix is probably one of my favorite elements on any coaster. So definitely like top yeah. five for me. And my first ride on the Beast in 1979, the helix was not enclosed yet. Oh. So you go through and you had all the, you know, it just looked like you were, you know, all the wood and everything around it. It just looked like you were going to like smash right into it. Um, so there was parts of that I liked better, but I, you know, but yeah, the helix with the tunnel, I think that adds a great effect to it. Yeah. One of these days, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's great, guys. When you guys no. are talking about helixes, I'm just picturing Twister. Kenobi. Twister. <laughs> It's great. I'll get there. Yep. All right. We next we have Dan Clark. He says, "What parks? Um, what parks on the top of your bucket list that you haven't been to yet? Also, what is your Bucky's credit count, and what are your go-to snacks?" <laughs> uh, we'll start with the easy one first. The Bucky's credit count. Uh, you know, I've got four of them. Uh, <laughs> I hit uh, the one in Richmond, Kentucky, a lot. Sevierville since that one opened, you know, been hitting that a couple of times a year now. The snacks, everybody loves the beaver nuggets. Um, of the sandwiches, I really like the, the club melt. I think that's the best sandwich. I prefer that over the brisket, uh, which is what they're known for. And breakfast food, they have a um, thing, it's called the, the Beast Burrito. So I get the Beast Burrito. It's got, you know, potatoes, it's got the scrambled eggs it's got sausage uh, some bacon in it it's it's really good so th that's my uh, treats there now parks that i have not been to well i've been to most in the united states at least so I, it's hard to come up with one top of my head um i will go with 
Hmm, that's a stomper one because I'm trying to think what I haven't done. I'm gonna, I, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know that there's one that's out there that I'm like, I've got to get to that park, you know, because I've, I've, I've hit all the major ones. Um, all right, well, let's, I, let's I, I've done, you know, like I said, a little how about bit. one? How about one? I haven't been to for a long time. Let's yeah, let's that. change the question and do that. That I haven't been to for a long time. We'll go with Magic Mountain. Okay. I was last there in two thousand three. Oh yeah, it's been a while. Uh, is are do you have any uh, parks that you you know you're hopeful that you want would like to go to that are overseas somewhere? Um, you know, I'm not. I would say Europa probably would be the one that's overseas. Yeah, and let's yeah. go with that. Let's go with that as the park that I have not been to that I want to. I was thinking more of the states and that, but let's go with let's go with that park as the one. Sounds like a good choice. Yeah, I mean, it just looks beautiful with all the photos and the videos and things I've seen of it. Yeah, yeah I, I experience agree. it. Yeah, I experience it vicariously through everyone else. You know, the <laughs> videos and stuff. <laughs> Same here for now. <laughs> Um, another question. This is another racer question. Tell us more about why racer is only one credit compared to two. Well, I, I think it's whatever anybody wants to call it. Yeah. You know, some people call it two credits. Some call it one. Um, you know, you could debate that until the cows come home. Um, uh, so, uh, it's whatever, whatever you feel good about, you know, yourself, whatever you want to call it, that's what it is. Now, do you count all of your credits? I do have that. Um, I don't, I think it's like 441 the last I looked, you know, 441 was mine. So I'm not up there like the thousands, like everyone else who travels overseas and does all those kind of things. Um, but yeah, I think it was 441 was the last time I looked. It's a good number. <laughs> yeah, but I don't write something just to get the credit. I won't do that just because it's yeah. there. Um, you know, there was a, there's a, you know, I was at the island in Pigeon Forge this week and they've got the one little small little, you know, kind of kitty coaster there you know, i'm not going on that just so i can get a credit <laughs> i'm not asking someone if i can ride with their kid to get the credit i'm not doing any of those kind of things oh my gosh there's not i will not ask someone to ride with their kid to get the credit for anything but p flyers at ioa i want to ride that so bad it looks so much fun and i yeah can't ride it as an adult i don't even want to i don't even have to count it as a credit i really don't i will happily just ride it I want to ride it so bad. And I have sat at that exit looking for children. It's awful. <laughs> You're better than me because I would probably be asking my sister, hey, can I borrow one of my nieces to go ride this? <laughs> I did ask my one friend to borrow her child. And then we got there and she didn't tell me that he's kind of scared of roller coasters. And he want to ride it with me. And I was like, what the heck? Oh, I am not super below for a really cool kid credit. Asking children, asking to borrow children, <laughs> in the uh, least creepy. My, my very first, uh, my very first credit at Dorney was their kids coasters. <laughs> There's that. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's like like if I go to a park and they've got a little you know kitty coaster, just gotta you know like okay, you know I'm not gonna sit out there and wait or say hey, excuse me you've got two kids can I ride with one of them so you can all go at the same time you know I'm not gonna do that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, we have another good Bucky's question. Surveillance asks, um, "Where would your dreams, Bucky, a dream 
Bucky's be located? Well, I, that's another great question. I, I think every city should have one, but um, no, I think for me, as often as I plan to be in the area next year, I would like to see one in Pennsylvania, like near Kennywood, somewhere in that area. There's a lot of um, a lot of road in Pennsylvania that um, it's just a bunch of trees right now. I think you can knock some of those out, make it a Bucky's. So just somewhere in Pennsylvania near Kennywood, I would be excited about that. I mean, it's a major population there, Pittsburgh area. So makes sense. Um, all right. So Whiskey Nick is asking, what uh, what's the one Don Helbig personal favorite project that never came to fruition uh, or like the one that got away? I don't know if project. he means like what a project that you would endeavor on or if like Kings Island project that never came through or something like that. I'm not sure. Pretty much everything we worked on, I mean, it always kind of, you know, came through. We didn't spend too much time on things that had no chance um, with that. Um, I would say probably, let's, let's go with a uh, Halloween haunt um, little, like, decorated area uh, of Kings Island. We did something, got in a little bit of trouble for it. Um but back in like 2009, we at that time, the different departments at Kings Island were all assigned an area to decorate. So we decided to go with uh, at that time after um, American Idol was, you know, at the top of at its highlight at that point in time. Everybody was watching that. So we called it Afterlife Idol. And we made a scene that had um, all the people that had a lot of people that had recently died. So we had Billy Mays, we had Heath Ledger, we had Dave Thomas from Wendy's, uh, Sonny Bono, uh, Natasha Richardson, uh, Michael Jackson, uh, B. Arthur. So we had all these different people that were in there. And we never got to see opening night of Haunt with it uh, oh, because no. the news station had come out and had shown the scene and it kind of blew up. There was one particular scene that was real controversial in it. Um, there was a quarterback that had played for the Tennessee Titans, and you know he was murdered and that by his mistress and things. So we had that in there, and uh, I mean it, every everybody that saw it thought it was you know really good. You know within the park, uh, there was a, a park sellout the weekend before Halloween Hunt officially opened, and it, you know everybody was guessing who everybody was and. Um, so the station comes out and they do a preview of it and they kind of mention that there's this, you know, afterlife idol and it kind of shows a clip of, you know, a couple of things in there. And now all of a sudden it goes the next morning, it's like national, everybody's talking about it. Um, TV, uh, a radio station in Tennessee gave up my phone number for everyone that was upset about the quarterback being in this. So my phone's blowing up. I keep seeing these 615 area code numbers popping up and everything. So, uh, you know, it was decided that, you know, we, we probably shouldn't have this out there because all the controversy and everything that uh, it has created. Now, on the flip side, uh, the ad value for that was in the, you know, just the millions. So, yeah. it, you know, everybody knew in the country, knew that Kings Island had an event called Halloween Hunt. And uh, we drew a lot of people from outside the market that year. Uh, because of that. So in that term, it was a success, but I would say something that didn't go through was we weren't able to have that 
uh, scene, I guess, because it, it, it really looked good, you know, and at that time, the the thing about Halloween Haunt, one of the marketing message was, you know, no one, nothing off limits. So it kind of played to that. I mean, it was it was intense and, you know, it was a little over the top in that, but it was what the event was at that time. Yeah. That's just that I wish I would have uh, been there to see, you know, like to witness the scene and everything. <laughs> Sounds fun. We had like 15 characters in there. I mean, it was, uh, you know, uh, the, the baseball legend, Ted Williams, you know, he had passed away and there was a dispute with his family, you know, and they had had it like his head was in a freezer and stuff. So we <laughs> replicated that in the scene. So, I mean, it was everything like that. Um, you know, it, it was just really um something that with the costumes and that, that, that we had for everybody. I mean, if you were a guest, you would have been able to identify just about everyone that we had yeah. in the scene. And it was set up where um, on the, you know, by Diamondback, you know, where the, the crypt building is, it was in that brass field right there, you know, okay. so right by the beast entrance and that. So it was set up right there. And it just, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, you asked for something that, uh, you know, just didn't <laughs> quite you know, go. So I'll, I'll go with that because it never made it to opening night. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first, Whiskey Nick. That's perfect. All right. So I think this this brings us to our last question from Brian Lamb, um, which we kind of talked about. Um, can you tell us about your early coasting days? So we'll change it up a little bit. Do you have any other fun stories about your early days as an enthusiast? You know, I, I think what I'd like to say about that is, um, you know, I was able to set the records and everything on the ride. But when I look back on it, that's not what I really remember. It was, um, you know, the people I met, uh, the friendships, you know, uh, people I met in line in 1981 or worked on the racer 1981. I'm still, you know, in touch with friends uh, with today. Uh, there was a group from Milwaukee and, and the, the Chicago area that, uh, were regulars at Kings Island in the in the 1980s. Met them in line, you know, riding the racer, and and another person from Detroit. They end up being in my wedding party, you know. So it's things like that that I think when I look back at my my roller coaster riding days, it, it's the relationships with people that um, you know was the most memorable, the most important thing about that. I mean, you know, great that I had all the you know the the, the records on the ride and all those kind of things, but. You know, when you got down to it, it, it was just about the people that I met. That's what I remember the most. Yeah, I would have to agree after like getting into this community and meeting everybody like that's definitely my my favorite part of this. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Experiences with other people. OK, so, uh, yeah, uh, go ahead. No, I think there's been, you know, there's some other you know times where, you know, there were people that um, I got to ride with that, you know, where maybe they, you know, they played for the Reds or the Bengals or something, they would come out to the park and um, Kings Island would arrange it at that time to, for me to ride with them. Or they had, you know, people, uh, some of the acts that came to play at Timberwolf, you know, so I would be on some rides with them. I think, you know, those are some of the things that uh, are a little memorable too. Yeah. You just got to ride not too long ago with, uh, with one of the Brady Bunch kids, right? Yep. Uh, I didn't, the last time that they came in with Barry Williams, I did not ride that time with them, but gotcha. uh, when they had come in in 2000, 
2008 and 2013, you know, I did get to at that point in time, um, you know, Christopher Knight, Susan Olson, Mike Lookinland, those were the ones that, uh, you know, had come in to make those appearances and was able to, to ride with them. That's awesome. That was pretty cool. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that brings us to the question that we asked all of our guests at the end of every episode is to give us one of your hottest takes. Hottest takes. I'm going to go with, um, I do not think Top Thrill 2 will win the golden ticket for Best New Riot. I think it'll go to Good Gravy at Holiday World. Okay. Oh, that's a good okay. one. <laughs> that's a good I just, one. I hope I just it's think, Good Gravy, though. <laughs> I just, you know, loved the teaser campaign that they did. Um, it's just so much fun. Love the cars when you know, when they unveiled those at IAPA. Um, I wasn't at IAPA, but I saw the pictures and video, and um, it just it's just adorable. You know, when you when you look at that, and it's just going to be so much fun. Everybody around the country was talking about that when they announced it with the name Good Gravy. Uh, I just think that's going to be the winner at the end of the day, and I think that's going to surprise people. I I definitely agree with that. Um... For sure. I think it's going to be a lot better than people are really expecting it to be. I think it's going to be fantastic, especially after out the trains. <laughs> they're so yeah. cute. Yeah, no, I'm going to, I mean, I'm going to say right now what they're doing with uh, uh, Top Thrill 2, that is going to be an amazing experience. Oh, yeah. I, I There's no question about that. Um, but I think the fact uh, it's almost like when when Prowler edged Diamondback for the Golden Ticket in 2009, more people could ride Prowler than Diamondback because it was 48 inches versus the 54 inches for the height requirement. So more were able to experience it. Um, I just think that because it's a, a family ride, you know, everyone's going to be able to enjoy it. That goes to Holiday World. Uh, you're going to have more people that you know are exposed to it. It's going to have some some you know fun stories when it opens in the spring. Uh, you know, with that again, it's gonna you know get that same kind of coverage that it did when it was announced, and I just think that's going to be the right that's top of mind when it comes time for for uh, the voters. Yeah, I mean that would that would not be surprising for me. Um, I do have a, another question that just popped in my head: is what are your thoughts on Dorney Park getting a new roller coaster after almost two decades? Long overdue. Yeah, long overdue. That is uh, one of my favorite parks. There's a lot of history there, tradition. You feel that when you're in that park. Um, I think it's a special place. I think it's a place that, um, you know, if you're a roller coaster fan, you should make uh, an effort to get there every year. And, uh, you know, I think it's just been off the map. So what they're doing now, I, I, um, I think it's going to be a phenomenal ride. I think they're doing a great job promoting it. I see all the time on my news feed, you know, another, you know, piece of track showed up. They do the um, series where they're, uh, you know, giving updates on it. I think that's been great. You know, it gets you excited about it, it you know, and it makes me want to plan a visit there. Yeah, yeah, same here. Like that, like my first visit was this year and I can't wait to go back. Yeah, it's a, and Chris, you went the best time of year. Haunt, they do a fantastic haunt event. Fantastic haunt event. Um, yeah, they do. And it's, it's one of the best ones that, uh, you know, that's out there. Yeah. I really enjoy their haunt event. Um, I think it's 
it's so good. Um, but yeah, I'm, I agree with you and everything you're saying. It's a fantastic, like, I'm so excited to see it. And I think they're doing a great job with it. I mean, the park's turning 140 years old and you have a hundred year old Thunderhawk. So it's a, it's a, next year's a big season for Dorney Park. Yeah. My first time riding Thunderhawk, it didn't even have a name. Wow. And it was just the coast. It was just oh. called the coaster. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Yes, but I love some of the old rides that they have there. Yeah, they have a great, yeah, they have a great collection of like old flat rides. A great collection. How what are your thoughts on Talon at Dorney Park? Talon, I like it. Um, you know, it's an underrated ride, it doesn't get talked about enough. So underrated. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> and then lastly, we'll 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 leave this one. Is is Demon Drop a coaster or is it a drop tower? I'm going to go with a drop tower. I wouldn't call that a coaster. Yeah. Yeah. Although, if, if a ride like Surf Dog is considered a coaster, then you know it leaves that up for debate, right? Yeah. I do, actually. I now have, um, I guess, one more question before we go. Since you are, I were at Kings Island for so long. Chris, do you know where this is going? I'm not sure. Is Orion a giga? What are your thoughts? It, it is a giga <laughs> because it meets the criteria, you know, which is either 300 feet tall or a drop of 300 feet or more, you know, so it, it meets the criteria. And I think that, uh, you know, when it came, you know, was announced and everyone was pointing to the 287 feet uh, in the height, they weren't talking about the drop being 300 feet. So I, I think that kind of, um, you know, hurt the excitement yeah. that should have been there for Orion when it opened. But yeah, it's definitely a giga because it meets the criteria. All right. I, I, that's another one where I've never written it. So I don't actually have an opinion, but I really like to fight people on their opinions on it because people, people care a lot about that question. It's funny to hear everyone's reactions on whether they think it is or if they think it's not. It, people are very passionate about it. It makes me laugh. Yeah, I always liked when they would do that. You know, it's like, well, did you like the ride? Yeah, I loved it. Well, then what's the, what's the difference? Yeah, who cares? It's fine. <laughs> who cares? Right, if you love it, if you love it, uh, you know, it's that's all that matters, right? Yeah, it's just one of those takes people are very, very, very passionate about. But you guys heard it here. Orion's a giga from Don. Yep. Um, it's my favorite in the park, so love it. It's a good coaster. I'm, I'm, sure I'm, it's so crazy awesome. to... to to see King's Island like back when I was younger and then now see that huge coaster just sitting there. So it's just, it blew my mind walking in there for the first time. And then uh, same season, obviously the first time not seeing Vortex there. So yeah, the no, I remember the part when Vortex trip. wasn't there. Yeah. So I, I, you know, growing up and not seeing the Vortex there, it doesn't hit me the same way it does others, you know, that they only knew the park with Vortex when I go to that area of the park. Yeah. My very first looping coaster ever. So it was a little a little emotional, but I don't, I mean, I'm, I think something that will be there in the future will be much better. So anyway, uh, Don, thank you for coming and hanging out with us this evening. Any, uh, any final thoughts you want to leave our listeners with? No, it's been a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, if you enjoy reading about the amusement park industry, you know, for sure, check out my 
my new blog, themeparksbydon.com. Yeah, guys, check out the check out his website and his blogs. It'll be great. Sounds good. Well, that's going to uh, do it for us this week. So we'll see everybody next time. Bye, guys. This has been the Theme Park Stand Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We'll see you all next time.